And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Uh, breaking news. Uh-oh. Uh, the readers often, and by readers I mean listeners, and by listeners I mean readers, and by both of those things I mean people on Twitter, always accuse us of hoarding medical information uh, for our sweet little eyes, our grubby little hands, uh, because we just love having the power over them. Well, the MRI results are in, Blake, and uh, there's no structural damage with my calf. And oh. I've, I've been cleared for what limited activity I engage in. There you go. Um, good to know that there's no damage there because you were, you've been limping around the last like year and a half like Conor <laughs> McGregor on Saturday night just with the calf <laughs> completely jacked up. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's still sore, so it's about pain <laughs> management. So, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's still there still might be some physio or chiropractors or, or who knows shockwave therapy but there's no reason there's no uh, I shouldn't be able to do more damage because there is no damage to make worse right now there you go just don't uh, have a match against AJ Styles and get locked in that calf slicer uh, calf, uh, did he have to change the name when it came to WWE I think it's so cra- yeah. it's calf pressure now yeah, because it used to be the calf killer, and uh, anyway. Um, yes, Eric, you confused readers and listeners. Um, if you are both, awesome. Welcome. Thanks for uh, supporting and listening. If you are not both and you're just listening, theathletic.com slash we the six, where you can get a discounted deal right now for three ninety nine a month, where you can read all our wonderful work, like what Eric wrote about the game Monday and my big thing on Stanley Johnson that was kind of a player development philosophical that came out on Tuesday. And a bunch of other cool stuff. Um, Eric, this week did not go... It went okay for the Toronto Raptors. It did not go well for you. You predicted <laughs> that the Raptors would go 2-2 two and two over their four games. However, you went 0-4 on the specific games. You said win, <laughs> loss, loss, win. The Raptors instead went loss, win, win, loss. Uh, they lost to the Miami Heat in a pretty ugly one. Then they bounced back to blow the Heat out. They beat the Indiana Pacers without Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. And then they lost uh, a pretty bad defensive effort on Monday in the rematch against the Pacers once again without Pascal Siakam. Some quick updates. Siakam is out. Um, He's been dealing with groin soreness as well as knee swelling. Doesn't sound like it's too serious a thing. Probably falls in the day-to-day classification. Uh, Kyle Lowry missed those couple of games with a toe infection that has, uh, if you look at his game before... He hit the shelf in his first game back on Monday. Uh, still appears to be bothering him a little bit, but I guess it's something that he can uh, play through. He might just have to uh, add a little extra padding and go up half a size in his golf cleat uh, as they return to Tampa Bay. Um, Eric, the a lot of what happened over the last four games is kind of a sped-up snapshot of what the season's been. There was some good stuff. Um, you have some unlikely contributors kicking in. You have OG taking on a bigger role. Um, you have some concerns about the workload of Lowry or, or the ability to carry the offense for Siakam. Um, some things turned around. You know, Aaron Baines and, and Norman Powell played well again. Chris Boucher regressed a little bit over the last couple games. Uh, there are still, you know, back-end rotation questions game to game. Before we get into... This is going to be a mailbag episode. We have lots of questions to get to. Before we get into that, uh, Eric, what's your your general vibe around this team right now? Are you pretty much where we were a week ago when they were 5-8 and eight, now that we're here at 7-10? and 10. I think so. Um, I got to say, the the performance, and maybe if the games were flipped, as I foretold um, <laughs> last week, I'd be sounding a bit different. But to have like Nick Nurse uh, talk so much about effort after the first Miami loss, and then without Lowry, 
you could really see how hard they were playing. Like they were flying around. Like did they get a bit lucky in the second Indiana game or the first Indiana game? For sure. Like, you know, Brogdon and Sabonis aren't going to shoot that percentage many times as was evidenced the next night. Uh, but you know, they were, they were an active part of contributing to that percent, those percentages. And then like, again, it's not, this is what I wrote about for my game story. It's not necessarily that they're not trying hard, like it from like a exerting physical energy thing, but just like the mental discipline that they show with shot selection at some of those time, you know, during some of those runs, uh, I pointed out in a second quarter, in a bit of an analysis of the second quarter on two consecutive possessions, there was a struggling Kyle Lowry taking a step back uh, that from the top, a step back three from the top of the key, which is blocked. Um, so whatever amount of room he thought he had created, he had not. And even then, it's not like he was really feeling himself, uh, or, or maybe he was, but it was unjustifiable. Uh, and then the next possession, and and so they go the the Pacers go the other way. They get an open three point look, and then they also get a offensive rebound, and they don't score. You know that's a pretty lucky result because both were clean looks. And they get the ball back, and Norm's dribbling up the court, and he takes a twenty six foot without twenty uh, six footer without numbers. That's you know semi contested. It's just, and then the Pacers do score the other way, like. That's not good enough. It's like you've got to, as Fred Van Vliet said, there's room for one of those shots maybe, and you'd like it to come from a player who's in the flow. And of those two players, Powell was more in the flow than than Lowry. But it's just, it's not a good enough process. And I know, and this is what I was wrestling with in my story, you know, effort and discipline aren't necessarily the same thing. But again, as Van Vliet said, like, it's really hard to, you know, it's easier to just come down and jack up shots uh, because it's a freer game. And, you know, the league is sort of proving that you can play this sort of way. And and there aren't the sort of penalties that there used to be for bad shot selection. The much tougher thing to do is play next action offense and, you know, swing, 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 which by the way, is exactly what they did on the following possession to get an open three pointer from Norm in the corner. Uh, They had that that all American (laughs) rejects offense going. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. uh, So I just, the Raptors aren't good enough to not play with both high effort and high discipline on both nights. And there are too many nights right now when they are, when they're missing one of those items and it's problematic. Um, So this again, unnecessarily negative because we're coming off a loss in which like, I think it very easily could have gone the other way, especially I, I don't blame the officiating for the loss, but you know, if you, make a few better decisions in the first half and and a few of those calls go the different way in the fourth quarter it swings the other way and and the raptors could easily win uh but overall there's still a little too much sloppiness or just not the sense of urgency that i think this team needs to play with yeah it's been a little i mean the raptors aren't top to bottom as smart a team as they've been in recent years and obviously losing a guy like Gasol and losing some of the institutional knowledge that a guy like Abaka carried or, or even the year before that having experienced guys like Kawhi and Daddy Green um they still have some very smart players that that kind of set that tone but uh you know they rely pretty heavily on a guy for scoring who isn't the best decision maker and they rely at least for now on a guy off the bench who as much as he can add that second unit scoring punch, makes a lot of really bizarre decisions on offense and is not a good defender right now uh, in Terrence Davis. So um, that's a tough part. And and then the effort side is like, it, it's, it's pretty uncharacteristic for them. And there's this weird thing where they've now won, I think, 13 straight games when Lowry sits. And obviously, you know, you dive into the numbers and Kyle Lowry is still very important to uh, their ability to win games. And when he does play, they almost can't win when he sits. Uh, but when he doesn't play, <laughs> it seems like everyone uh, steps it up. And, you know, obviously Powell is the the best example of that because his scoring ticks up when he when he jumps into the starting lineup. Um 
but you know, there's there's just some weird stuff happening there that that they need to continue to iron out, and, and you know, it's it. There are those things that if if the you know Pythag win loss had, had flipped the other way and they'd be nine and eight instead of seven and ten, you know maybe it's a little more understandable. But uh, it's you know the longer it drags on, the the longer you're in this hole, and there's still plenty of time to to get back into the playoff picture, of course. But this leads us into uh, our first mailbag question, pretty seamlessly. Paul Lawton tees off the mailbag by asking, how ugly will things get when the schedule gets tougher? Um, in his mind, the schedule hasn't been that tough yet. Uh, not a ton of back-to-backs. I, I would say that, you know, Miami's a good team, but they ran into them shorthanded. Indiana's a good team, but they ran into them shorthanded. They did have that four-game West Coast trip uh, where they played well, but only came away one and three. Um, the schedule is not about to get tough imminently. They do play Milwaukee on Wednesday, but then they have a couple easy ones, or not easy, but a couple lesser opponents before they see Brooklyn. And then it takes a dip again. But then you get into a stretch of the schedule in mid-February where you've got Boston, two games against Milwaukee, two games against Philly, and then Miami again, all in the span of like eight games. So uh, Paul's question, Eric, is just how bad could things get? I guess my reframing of Paul's question would be, do you feel a sense of urgency for the Raptors to figure a lot of this stuff out over the next, say, eight games before things do get difficult? Um, more difficult. Well, to answer Paul's question directly, yes, it could get very ugly. Um, he said, "How ugly? Not could it get ugly? Uh, uh, um, the ugliness is implied." It could get uh, seven point eight uh, uglies out of ten. Um, no, it could get eight point six uglies out of ten. Um, to answer your question, I yeah, I would feel a bit of urgency. First of all, the season's not as long. <laughs> like, uh, I know it's just 10 games, but that, that matters. And who the hell knows what's going to happen uh, with all the cancellations. Maybe they decide not to make the season 72 games. Maybe they say we it's more important for us to stick to a certain schedule. And uh, so we're going to cut another eight games off of it. I don't think that'll happen for local TV reasons, primarily. But it's possible. I mean, there's been, what, 18 cancellations? 22, so far? I think. Okay. Um, so, it's always and, worse than you think. <laughs> uh, uh, that's what I've been telling my therapist. 2021 um, NBA, baby. Things get better, uh, but they never get good, right? Yeah. Uh, God. That, you don't that, like that lyric, eh? That quote hit home. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we were just, for the, re- for the readers, for the listeners, we were discussing that about other stuff and yeah it, it resonated um i they should feel urgency i i think you you know going deep against indiana in the second night of a back-to-back isn't the worst thing but if you're going to like completely different players in the first half than the second half like it's fine to go nine or ten deep in a given night but like why are those guys different in each half uh and you would hope, and I, I understand why they are, is because to Nick Nurse's mind, and mostly to my mind, like none of those guys beyond the guys who are playing every night have established themselves in any sort of role. So you want to see who is able to take something and run with it. But that's also how you keep guys on edge, keep guys uncertain. It's more difficult to find stability when it's like that. So with the rotation, yeah, I think if they're still not mostly settled within the next eight games, it's problematic. Uh, And with the level of, like, effort, that's just got to be there. Like, if it's not, they're going to lose a lot of games. And, you know, I... I don't know how much this season and not having a home and all the ancillary ancillary things that, you know, the move has brought impacts things, but they're, you know, like you said, there's still plenty of time to turn it around, but there's less time than normal and the schedule is going to get harder. So you want to see them begin to resemble them and they have resembled themselves but i think what nick nurse is looking for and what i'm looking for is sort of a a floor of effort and a floor of decision making that hasn't been established yet like they can truly look dreadful for quarters or 
halves at a time. Uh, like that first half against Indiana was abominable, and that's why I don't really have much time for any referee uh, complaints because, you know, if you don't like it, pitch better. So, yeah. Also, yeah. you spent most of that two-game series in the bonus early most of the time. So yeah, it's not I, like... I mean, the whistle was extremely inconsistent over those two games, and it was frustrating to not know whether a foul would be called. But it's not like the Raptors weren't also getting fouled a lot. Yeah, anyway. and like you pointed out, that's why they – I mean, that's not why. It was a huge part of them winning in – The first game. Uh, on Sunday because they were struggling to put you know, possessions together in the fourth quarter. Reminded me a lot of the Philadelphia game that just seemed like they were going to run out of steam at the end and there was a game on the west coast trip that was also like that maybe the portland game i don't know yeah um and uh yeah so urgency yes i feel it yes three three at home now but like you said home like no places there as the hotel year might say (laughs) we don't know how big a benefit that is and then that man it's a six game road trip after that which is uh so even if you've got you know, Orlando, Atlanta, Memphis, and Washington, which are all plucky but not elite teams, uh, a six-game road trip is hard, and you've got Brooklyn and Boston mixed in there. So, um, And the Atlanta game is on the second night of a back-to-back as well. So uh, They've been bad on the road. Not yeah. that, like, <laughs> anyway, it feels so yeah. stupid talking road at home this year. But, yes. yeah, there are things you have to do on the road that are slightly different than yeah. if you're playing out of town. All right. Uh, you mentioned that no one has really ran with one of the uh, rotation spots that are up for grabs. Uh, I think that we can all agree that one person has at least outperformed expectations and their station on the depth chart. And that is, of course, Yuta Watanabe, who has played 121 minutes over 11 games now uh, and been fairly impressive. Uh, the offense has struggled a little bit when he's on the floor, but the defense has been very, very good. Uh, so, we've got an entire section of quick mailbag questions here. Eric, I'm going to call this segment Mad About Utah. So, first, <laughs> the, the, there's a lot of Utah questions. So, um, let, Paul Reiser, what up? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, first, Kevin from Kevin Hunt. Churchill, is Watanabe the best player in the NBA? Uh, no, but he is the best, best ninth man in the NBA. Is he, this is my question, is he a top two Japanese player in the NBA? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, from Mike Maz, not our old friend uh, from the beat, Mike Maz, a different Mike Maz. I think Utah is a fantastical player. Why had he not gotten a look from other teams? Um, well, he was with Memphis, the Memphis program for. Teams. I feel like I feel like Dwayne Casey whenever I say that, calling teams programs. No, for no, two the years. program. <laughs> I, I'm not one to make some fun of people's pronunciation. Uh, I mean, I without giving much away, I'm looking into this. Uh, so maybe as a G League follower, you can you're better off answering this question. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give away too much of what you're working on, but it's the same stuff that I wrote about Utah when the Raptors brought him into camp, and it's that you know the defense is there, and he's really really solid, and he's a good passer for a wing. Um, but when you're a fringy guy like that, sometimes not having that one elite skill that gets you on the floor can limit your opportunities. So for two years, he was one of the best players in the G League and didn't get a shot with Memphis um, because, you know, they had young depth or, you know, he's not a guy who can come in and be like, okay, he's going to help the offense or the spacing for sure. He's kind of a do like he's a floor player um, and a high effort defender. And I I think obviously his defense so far has shown that he is uh, an NBA player on the defensive end. Um, you know, I haven't been displeased with his offense, but that's probably why he didn't get a lot of opportunity is that, you know, short of the odd 30-point outburst with the Memphis Hustle, um, he's kind of just a guy on offense, and that makes it harder to get your foot in the door uh, for rotation minutes. Um, this, I'm, I'm going to take this next one as well. This comes from Charming. How does Watanabe's two-way contract work? How soon can they switch him to a regular contract, and is it worthwhile? Uh, so Utah's two-way contract allows him to be active for 50 NBA games this year. Not That's not playing so if he gets in in garbage time that's not a lost opportunity cause it's whether he's active or not Uh, so so far he has been active for all 17 games Uh, that means he has 33 games left before the Raptors would have to 
uh, convert him. It certainly doesn't seem like he's going to the G League bubble at this rate since he's in the rotation. Um, so yes, they can convert him or negotiate a new contract with him at any time. Uh, whether it makes sense to do so depends on how you feel about that post-Alex Len open roster spot. You could convert Utah to a standard NBA contract and then backfill that two-way spot with another young player to kind of beef up the 905 team. You could also hold off on converting Utah, um, use that open roster spot on a different on a veteran big or, or someone like that. Um, you know, keep it open for flexibility purposes a little longer and see maybe who stands out in the G League uh, and then make that decision later in the year when you have to by either, you know, cutting someone else or, or you know, cutting Paul Watson, who's not in the rotation or whatever. Um, so I w I'm, you could go either way with it. If you, I'm sure the 905, since it doesn't look like they're going to get anyone other than Jalen Harris right now, I'm sure the 905 would love for Utah to be converted so they can sign another two-way. Uh, but for right now, it looks like they'll probably carry on as is. Um, from Donald Austin, how common or rare is it for any one team having two players that would merit most improved player consideration? He says, i.e. OG or Boucher, to which I say, wow, no inclusion for Utah. Uh, <laughs> Eric, this is kind of just the mark of a of a good development program and a team that, I mean, the Raptors have not exceeded expectations to date, but that's kind of the the scenario you, you get in, right? Like it's uh, Jack Armstrong and I were texting about the Bills the other day, and he he used a Pat, <laughs> Ry he used a Pat Riley term, the the innocent climb, and the yeah, Raptors he... certainly aren't that two years after a championship, but you know you do get guys who are in that position. Um, so I'm just wondering your thoughts on Donald's question there, but most improved in general. Um, I mean, yeah, like this is what the Raptors do, right? And it's, it's nice to see, although some of Boucher's numbers have obviously taken a hit as late over the last few games. Uh, and his, uh, his three point percentage still at 45.3%. So I, I think that's also driving up a lot of what you would consider, uh, with, Chris Boucher, uh, when you're talking about uh, a most improved candidacy. I can't imagine it happens a lot because you're usually not filling that many big rotation minutes, especially if you're on a good team. Uh, but it, it could certainly happen with developing teams. Uh, like I don't, I don't have like a knowledge of the history of the most improved player other than usually who won it. But like I, I can think of like, you know, there are certainly situations like, you know, not that there was a case for anybody on Memphis last year, but a team like that that makes a big jump, while it's sort of implied that there were guys coming from lesser spots and filling bigger roles and, and succeeding. So I don't think it, it, it's probably not as rare as you would think, uh, but certainly OG has been on a another level lately, uh, just to say that, and even Monday against Indiana, uh, you know, foul trouble and getting hit in his precious face, which can't seem to avoid <laughs> contact. Uh, I think it sort of, he was on pace to be really effective again, uh, and the game just sort of didn't go with him. He's been awesome. Uh, they've both been, you know, I sort of, uh, when the fantasy basketball people asked me for a Raptors breakout player, I said Chris Boucher, and I'm, instead of Ananobi, which was maybe the obvious choice, and I'm pretty happy about that, but both are obviously helping. Uh, yeah, so I don't think it's as rare as we think, but without doing a deep dive, I can't say how, uh, how rare it is. Uh, Eric, to one-up your Chris Boucher fantasy recommendation, one of my bold predictions this year was Chris Boucher is a valuable, if very frustrating, fantasy and DFS <laughs> play. And uh, that is already um, yeah, manifesting a little bit. You are correct. Yeah. Um, all right. So looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Utah's not in the most improved conversation, uh, but Zach asks, Eric, would you rather go out for Halloween as Defensive Player of the Year, Utah Watanabe, or <laughs> Most Valuable Player, Utah Watanabe? Uh, I mean, how fantastical. I mean, it's Halloween. Anything could happen. So I guess MVP, Utah Watanabe. I, see, uh, I feel like that would be a harder caution, though, because the defensive player of the year, you just have to do those wild dolphin-like closeouts yeah. all over the place, right? Yeah, but but wouldn't that still be a part of MVP, Yuta Watanabe? Yes. Like, I, I assume, like, any value he is providing still has to do with his his uh, arms on rebounds and, and closeouts and defense. That like, guy has that, some spatial awareness, I'll tell you that Yeah. Much. Uh, to, to just like, I don't know if we're getting to another question about Utah, like no, even on off- the transition on offense, like, yeah, I can see how the numbers drag down when he's out there, but he does, he's like his awareness and intelligence is maybe what stands out most for me. He's, uh, and maybe that's, you know, in comparison with Terrence Davis right now, who's not playing that way. Uh, but when he turn like he turns down a shot sometimes, and that's as that's like the way I'm frustrated with him. Other than that, like he just tends to be in the right space. He makes a lot of cuts. Um, he's just a he's been a pleasure to watch try to fit in because it, it sort of it just looks like he knows what's going on out there at a, at a pretty high level. Yeah, which has been in demand on this Raptors team yeah. so far. Uh, all right, transitioning now from Chris Black. Who does Raptors Twitter love more, Utah or Matt Thomas? Um, I think it's Matt Thomas, and I think it shouldn't. I mean, there's just not enough sample on Matt Thomas this year to love or not love. It and sure I isn't. Think- uh, he's he's part... only played 58 minutes, uh, a handful of those in garbage time, yeah. and he does have uh, the worst net rating of anyone left on the roster, um, but obviously in a 58-minute sample, that is extremely noisy, and let me just say that I don't think the offense being the bigger concern when Thomas is on the floor is going to persist, um, um, but it's, yeah. been a, it's been a tough go for him. He has not had a lot of opportunity... Um, yeah, I mean, really, yeah, I, he's shooting 57% on threes and can't get on the floor. Um, yeah, like, I don't find it as, like, at, at the beginning when they were really scuffling and there was, like, a new guy every night, I found it a bit odd that he wasn't getting another chance. But with Watanabe and Stanley Johnson both playing their roles, like, pretty well, I find it less bewildering now you can make the case that the raptors need offense and he should be out there and i'm open to that argument but in terms of just minute pure minutes allotment i get why it's not happening yeah okay we have a couple more questions related to this um scotty bonus asks why does nurse continue to give more minutes to td than matt mike maz and girl fieri ask uh, does nurse hate matt thomas what did matt thomas do wrong um do you have a i I know you kind of just answered this but do you have a a feel for like what ex- like it got comical at a point where like Matt Thomas was like the twelfth guy used and he's just like you know not even playing until garbage time in some of the deeper bench games. Um, and again, it's a small sample, and we have a larger sample of Thomas that he can be useful. Um, what do you think is up here? Because it's not you know like if it were just that Thomas makes some mistakes defensively, it doesn't make a lot of sense that say uh, a Terrence Davis has played three times as many minutes as him um, because he's been shaky defensively as well. And now I, I know offensively he can create his own shot more. Yeah, and he's a little more dynamic. That was but... going to, that was going to be my entire response when comparing right. it to Davis. It's yeah. like, he can do a little more. Is he doing a little more? No, like, or, yeah. or not, not to the degree that warrants him playing. Yeah. And, and I'd more. argue he's taking more off the table at times huh. as well. Um, and that's before getting into, you know, we did get a couple questions about the, the off court stuff with, with Terrence Davis and how we feel about, you know, him being a regular part of the fold um, to which we'll just say we've done full podcasts on this before. There's still yeah. a couple weeks ago his next sport t- date, but it's a, uh, it, it kind of sucks to have to, you know, um, I, I know it's been tough for, some fans to, to continue to see that. Um, and I know that it's, 
you know, it's just not an enjoyable thing to watch a guy who not only isn't playing well, but um, in a lot of people's minds and in mine should probably not be playing while all this gets figured out. Okay. Um, let me just answer one of the questions because I saw it quickly, uh, even though you're curating the questions, which I do appreciate. Was it the toxic culture one from Truth the Source? I don't think so. Okay. Um, or from Zayed? It, it was just how much is the, you know, what's going on with him affecting our view of his playing. And I think, it, like, it's undeniable to say that it affects me. Like, I, I, it bothers me on a human level. But also, per 36 minutes, he had 2.3 turnovers last year. This year, it's up to 3.9. Last year, he had 3.7 fouls per 36 minutes. This year, it's 4.9. Like, that's a lot more mistakes. Now, it's only 147 minutes. I get that. But that's like, that is a huge jump in both areas. Uh, and, you know, I the Raptors have a fouling problem on occasion, and they certainly have a decision-making problem uh, on more than an occasion. And... When that comes to play, like when, when both of those things are going up, it's way harder to justify the theoretical extra shot creation he's giving you. Yeah. And then I would say, too, you know, some of some of these issues existed last year, like you pointed out, not in the same volume. But also when he was on the floor last year, the Raptors won his minutes uh, really significantly. And that's not the case this year. He does have a slightly better net rating than Malachi Flynn and Utah and uh, Bembry and Thomas. But we're talking the tiniest of samples to where I don't think the, oh, well, they're losing by less when Davis is out. There is a reasonable justification for him to keep getting these shots. Um, so, again, we recognize that you know, what he does. And it's why we were arguing for him to, you know, be ahead of McCaw last year, because that stuff was resulting in more winning stretches for the Raptors and better minutes overall. But uh, the number of mistakes has increased uh, disproportionately from the number of positives this year. Yeah, it's specifically a question I've wondered about. And like, especially going into the year, I thought all things being equal, Terrence Davis should have the inside track uh, to getting more minute like to starting in the rotation uh and that's the way i truly feel because he played so well last year but that wasn't the case uh like he matt thomas was ahead of him coming out and now given how the game how the team has progressed he shouldn't be ahead of i mean thomas whatever but it's clear a number of guys have passed them it's clear to me a number of guys have passed him on the uh, depth chart in terms of just individual performance. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on. Uh, there's a question that I'm uh, a little more fired up about even than this one. And it comes from JDG47 and Tom Wright, and they are breaking my rule of not being mean to questions in mailbags. Uh, they ask between them, Kyle has not been right all season. Is that just age catching up with him or is he trying to do too much? And then Tom Paul's, is he disengaged? Has he had enough? To which I would say, I think the last two games are maybe distorting people's perception of Kyle Lowry's season to date, which if you think back just a couple weeks, the story was the Raptors keep getting obliterated when Kyle Lowry isn't on the floor and they are incapable of scoring or defending when he's on the court. Um, beyond that, you know, he does have a, a noticeable um, on-off separation there advanced metrics still grade him as one of the bigger positive impacts on the team uh, it's a little early for those stats of course um he is still carrying above average usage on above average efficiency he is still you know right there with van vliet and siakam among the team's top scorers uh he's still leading the team in assists he's still you know i think his individual defense hasn't been uh, as great at the perimeter, but his team-level defense is great. He's uh, third on the team in rebounding, despite being, you know, maybe six feet tall. Uh, he has had two shaky games in a row, uh, dealing, you know, sandwiched around the, the games he missed with that toe infection. Uh, but I think that extrapolating from those to say Lowry has not been good this year is uh, incorrect. Yeah, Occam's razor, he's a bit injured. Uh he did throw a few sort of head-scratching passes last night uh, or Monday night. But, yeah, he was engaged enough to get thrown out. So <laughs> I, I, he's, he obviously cares. Uh, 
I just agree with what you said, basically. Cool. All right. Well, let's just move on then. Uh, so this is an interesting one that's kind of related to uh, the Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas uh, kind of talk. Uh, this comes from Josh B, and I guess th- this is, to me, an interesting like kind of player development philosophical, especially in a year where that up and down with Mississauga isn't available. Uh, so Josh asks, do you think having so many guards is hurting the development of some due to the lack of playing time? It seems like when injuries force them into more minutes, they rise up. Um, so I guess you can look at that two ways. The one way is if they're able to rise up when they do get opportunities, that might be evidence that it's not hurting the player development because they're still able to uh, contribute for you. But in general, I would say, yes, playing is really important to development. And I think the Raptors trust their player development staff and, and their system to get guys improving even when they're not in the lineup. But the odd time to go down to the 905 and play 30, 35 minutes and get up 10, 15 shots is really valuable. And I think you would see Paul Watson and Jalen Harris and maybe even Malachi Flynn at some point. I think Malachi Flynn. Yeah. uh, Anyway, go on. Sorry. Would have been down there at some point uh, by now. And now we're probably looking at Jalen Harris might be the only one who's in the G League bubble uh, from the the NBA team. Uh, We'll see. But what's what's your thought on that, Eric? I, I know Nick Nurse is a is a proponent of you've got to play and you've got to get on the court, and that's why they use the nine oh five so much. Um, but also like the amount of injuries they dealt with last year, and then just the in a inaccessibility of a G League program this year has limited their ability to do that um, quite naturally, like quite understandable. Yeah. Um, I mean, I asked, I you know, going back a while, I asked Brian Colangelo about this when he drafted Ed Davis and they were sort of rich in power forwards at the time. And he talked about, you know, the concept of stacking positions and, you know, it also, it makes you more able to trade uh, and you're dealing from a position of, you know, not desperation, but you do have to play. And I just think this year is a really crappy year for that, (laughs) you know, with the, G League only operating out of the bubble uh, and also practice time being slightly harder, uh, you know, more complicated maybe to come by and and the protocols you have to follow are are just more stringent. And that means keeping players, you know, sometimes you have to keep players separately. And Nick Nurse has talked about trying to get those like bottom eight guys, bottom 10 guys even on the roster together to to get some extra work in, but it just can't be as easy as it has been in the past. So I do think it's important, you know, I don't think Malachi Flan has been particularly impressive when he has played. Uh, I'm not ready to write him off uh, or anything, but, you know, that's that's an example of, like, I don't think when he stepped in, he's looked ready to play. And I think maybe if he'd gotten, you know, a few games in the G League. I, I don't know how much it would have helped, but it certainly would have helped his rhythm and and his you know game speed sort of uh, readiness. So this is a bad year for it. It's hard to judge based on this year, and I think ultimately building with the best players you can find is the right approach. But that might not bear itself out this year. Yeah, I'm with you. It's tough. Um, more uh, development. I guess this is just kind of a, a wrap to this whole section from nose toes, no toes down. We never see Paul Watson in meaningful minutes other than two to three minutes in the first half yesterday. What's the deal? Uh, to which I would just say they have a lot of guys. And uh, sometimes the, the 16th man, you know, I think it's clear that Utah won more favor than him mm-hmm. uh, early on. And Bembry just has a little more... Um, ball handling and maybe a little more reliable defense uh, down the position chart. And that's pretty much it. I, I think everyone listening to this podcast knows I'm a Paul Watson fan. I think he can be uh, an NBA player, but you can't play all 17 guys or 16 guys now yeah. uh, at once. So Basically, Utah Watanabe happened. That's, yeah. that's more or less it. Also, Stanley Johnson happened. Yeah. Uh, and Stanley Johnson Fan Club asks, do you think Stanley <laughs> Johnson will re-sign this offseason? That's oh, way too early for that. Uh, he has said a number of great things about the Raptors development program, to which I will say you can love a team all you want, but you know, you, you got your rookie contract and then 
you got a second contract, which probably exceeded what you had proven on your first contract, <laughs> but that's not going to stop him from, or it shouldn't stop him from taking the best deal on the table. And we're still a long, long way to him proving he's a viable long-term rotation piece. Yeah. And if you'd like to read more about Stanley Johnson's uh, development and just how rare it is for a guy uh, like this, kind of a failed lottery pick, to, to develop a second act as a role player, you can have, head over to theathletic.com slash uh, six if you're not a subscriber, or just theathletic.com slash team slash Raptors if you are a subscriber, because uh, that's what I wrote about on Tuesday. Um, all right. Where are we at in this? Oh, we got a little bit of time left. We we have lots of questions that we're not going to get to. So I apologize to um, those people. We appreciate um, it. Thank you. This is a fun one. Uh, and, and with the Nets game on the horizon uh, in the not too distant, distant future, it's uh, maybe relevant. Uh, from OG Ananobi fan club. The too many fan club accounts, guys. Um from the OG Ananobi fan club, in a tie game against the Nets with one minute to go, who do you want guarding Kyrie, Harden, and KD? Um, that is a good question. Well, I mean, obviously it depends on the lineup. and I think so we know who four of the guys on the court are. Yeah. So let's say, do we want to go small or do we like... I think Norm let's assume court. small because the Nets probably aren't playing a center in that situation. Okay, so I'm going to assume Norm's on the floor because okay. that just seems like the most likely result. Do you disagree? Sure. Uh, no. I mean, we it's a hypothetical. Let's put Norm on the floor and see. Okay, so... Like, if DeAndre's on the floor, then whatever. You can close with Baines or Stanley or whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah, like ideally for defensive purposes, Stanley's on the floor and then that makes the question easier to answer. But I don't think that's like a terribly realistic final lineup unless Norm is having an off night. Like all things being equal, Norm would be on the floor. Uh, saying that, I think I want Fred on Kyrie, I want Kyle on Harden, and I want OG on uh, KD. KD. But I could be convinced putting Pascal on uh, on Harden too. Oh, see, I would go. I would have Fred on Kyrie for sure. Um, I would go OG on Harden and Siakam on KD. I like Lowry being able to freelance yeah. a little bit. Um, I think OG's done a pretty good job on on Harden in the past, and, and I he think, does give you the physical. Yeah, ability, and, and I, yeah, I just think with this construction, KD isn't you know, probably facing up Siakam where Siakam has a better chance than, uh, you know, getting taken down in the post or whatever. Um, obviously, there's going to be a ton of switching in those scenarios anyway, which is another reason I probably keep OG and Siakam on two of the main guys because there's just a little bit more switchability yeah. with Kyrie Harden, KD stuff. Um, but that's a fun one. I, I hope that game ends up close so we can see what Nick Nurse's first answer to that question is. Um, all right. Uh, I forgot to write down who asked this question, but Eric, if you could bring back an any ex-Raptors role player, uh, who would you choose? And I clarified that this is, we're transporting them. So, you know, if you want Kevin Willis, it's not 70-year-old Kevin Willis. It's 42-year-old Kevin Willis. Uh, if you want, you could choose your era of P.J. Tucker. You can uh, you've got, you can be creative here, but it's got to be a role, an ex-Raptors role player to drop into this team. Uh, and it's for the team's benefit, not mine? No, it could be, it, it didn't specify. Okay. Um... I mean, the first name that came to mind was Ed Davis, but I don't actually think that's the answer. Um, PJ Tucker would be great. And the other guy, and I would, you know, the second PJ Tucker for the Raptors, not the first one. Uh, and also Jorge, Garba, Jorge Garbajosa would also be great. But they Especially, already have him. It's Yuto Watanabe. Uh, not quite as physical of a defender, yeah. I would say. Um like in today's NBA, he could play some small ball five minutes. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would be like it's not what you'd want to do, but it's like the same way that Stanley is. Yeah. Defending, he's not quite as stout as Stanley, but 
you know, with him and OG out there, you, you could switch assignments and it would be fine. And he's, uh, you know, a reliable shooter and he, you know, smokes some cigarettes. So <laughs> it's great. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm going Danielle Marshall. I think, you know, the Raptors could use more of a pick and pop thread and a little stretchier uh, option at the five. And I think Danielle fits the modern Raptors. I'm going Patrick well. Patterson just to piss off Raptors Twitter. Yeah. There you go. Um, all right. Uh, which one of these do we want to... Okay, we're not going to touch some of the trade stuff because we're running tight on time and it's a little bit early for that. They should make no Still. trades. Yeah. No uh, trades okay. ever. Let's go with some... Uh, a couple out-of-the-box ones. Uh, from Masai Crush Mondays, what happens first? OG gets 10 steals or Boucher gets 10 blocks? In uh, I say... Well... Neither will my get my bet for this year is neither because that's a safe bet. But I would say Boucher ten blocks is easier to accomplish. Yeah, I think ten blocks is uh, it's a little more common than ten steals. No Raptor yeah. has ever gotten ten steals. There's in the game. less Doug- dependent on the ineptitude of the opposite team. Um, yes, I think there's also a matter of like if you were to get a big lead, which you might have if one of your players is getting seven or eight steals. Um, you know, you might ratchet down the aggression. There is absolutely no scenario in which Chris Boucher ratchets down his <laughs> shot blocking aggression. So, um, or shot taking aggression. Yes. Uh, all right. Quick one from Michael Kitchen. How would Delon and Fred's development trajectory have been different if Fred had been traded to Memphis instead of Delon? I love that question, especially because Delon had like twenty nine, eight, and seven, or something like that, in a win over Philly. Yeah, he's uh, a triple double watch like every night. Yeah. Uh, the best player in the world. Um, I mean, it, it would have changed a bit. I think DeLon has some physical shortcomings that uh, would have made it, like he just wouldn't have slid into the Fred role. Like he, he's not as, you know, tough of a defender. He has defensive attributes, certainly as, you know, a deflection guy like Fred is and, and as a, pass jumping guy but he's not going to be able to he's not the one-on-one you know guard a a point guard type player that that fred is um i think fred would have you have to get the chance but i think fred would have found his way to fit in regardless of where he went uh, maybe not to the level where he's getting a four-year, eighty-five million-dollar contract, because part of that is baked. Part of what's baked into that is how meaningful he is to the Raptors specifically, um, and, and how meaningful he has been in their team development. Uh, but I think he's getting a pretty significant second or third contract, I should say, regardless, because I, I don't think he's the type of guy that would have been denied. Uh, DeLon Wright, uh, you know, maybe he'd be in a slightly more positive position, but he's still, like, starting for an NBA team, so that's not a, a bad Yeah, and he position. plays almost 30 minutes a night. Um, yeah, it's just on a bad team, right? Yeah. So I, I think maybe he would be a bit further along defensively, potentially. Um, but I really... Yeah, I have a I have a tough time with this one. It's a tough question. It's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't think it. Well, would have I think changed. the reason you're having think... a tough time too is also that you're a big fan of Delon Wright. And you don't yeah. want to say that the real outcome is that the Raptors don't win the championship. Yeah, no, I. But that, they were asking specific. I thought my I interpretation was about the players. Yeah, not the I know. Teams. I'm, I'm just teasing. Yeah, Fred's a better player. Right. <laughs> like uh, that, um, that's my take. Let's close out here. Uh, this question's from Zach Eric. Who's winning the Royal Rumble? Um, I think it's Daniel Bryan. I think you're right. I think, uh, I have some, I think this is, I have not watched very much WWE at all of late. Um, I think the Royal Rumble is the event where I will most miss the crowd. Like, I think it's just. Oh yeah. Like Edge coming in last year. Awesome. But not even just for the surprises. Like the, and I'm sure they'll pump in the four, like 10, 9, 8, the countdown, but like it's just like the the all the cheers that are pumped at it's like people aren't i'm the booze for that matter like yeah. like roman sorry i won't go, i won't go too long on this but like roman reigns taking an extra 15 seconds to talk because he's outraged at the fake booze he's receiving <laughs> i'm sorry like i i understand kayfabe but 
it's not working for me. Yeah. Not working just, for me, dog. Just wait until they start pumping in the CM Punk chants or the what when guys are doing promos. <laughs> to be clear, Roman Reigns has been great. This isn't a Roman Reigns complaint. This is like a stage direction yeah. complaint. I've heard that, but I have not uh, I have not watched very much WWE. So Roman's been great. I will um, pick Daniel uh, Bryan though as well. But my he- long shot my long shot pick, which was not even discussed on the Max the Mass Man show, uh, when they did us they were going through the possible winners, is Jimmy Uso. Oh, interesting. I think it's probably too recent that they ran a similar storyline mm-hmm. with Jay Uso to do that, but you could ha- you could do a version of it where it's like you've taken over the family and you've stolen my literal brother to the point where he's not himself. Who mm-hmm. do you think you are? Uh, again, I think I think that's like a ultra long shot. Uh, and the you know them running a version of that story in September or whatever it is probably rules it out, but it's a good story. Uh, my long shot pick is Brock Lesnar. Uh, oh God! Him coming in and just wrecking everyone and main eventing another WrestleMania uh, <laughs> would be the most WWE thing. Like they just got the NBC deal. Let's do something splashy to pull people in uh, because you can if you get NBC Peacock or whatever you get WrestleMania free with that. So. Uh, I could definitely see them pulling a move like that. Uh, all right, Eric, the I, I have to bounce momentarily. So uh, the Raptors are about to play the Milwaukee Bucks, the Sacramento Kings, and then a two-game series against the Orlando Magic. Uh, I don't know if we'll talk to you next after one of those Magic games or after both of them, uh, but to be safe, give us all four. Uh, I think I'm going to go chalk here. Uh, loss and then three wins. Is that right. chalk? I, hate uh, I would probably give Orlando one of them just because so many of these two game series have been splits. Yeah, but uh, league wide, not just for the Raptors. I hate their existence. Yeah, the two game series, you mean? No, the Magic. Oh yeah, <laughs> be more <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent questions in. And sorry if we didn't get to yours, uh, especially the subheading of transactions questions that I had. Uh, just running a little long. I'm sure we'll do another mailbag uh, closer to yeah. transaction season. Uh, so keep an eye out for those calls. Uh, yeah. And head over to theathletic.com slash we the six if you're not subscribed to the written side of things as well. Eric Kareem, thank you so much, buddy. Thanks, Blake. Uh, Bell Let's Talk on Thursday. Guys, uh, look out for each other and for yourselves. See ya! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.